0: So today I want to talk to all of us who find ourselves wanting to share the good news, share the gospel, share Jesus with the world around us. But um, we find ourselves a little bit lost in the swirl. Y'all know what I'm talking about like the swirl of culture the swirl of changing beliefs the swirl of the rage mob that we find ourselves in right now anybody ever gotten caught in cancel culture before got blown up on social media now you don't know What to say or do. Maybe um, you you stepped out, shared your faith, um, and then uh, uh, you lost some friends in the process. And so now you just kind of sit back. Maybe you don't know how to respond to questions that people have or the life that people are living. So you just kind of shy back from opportunities. Um, And we don't know where to go from here. But to everybody else, maybe who you've experienced the joy of actually being a part of of leading somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. Come on, you know that there's nothing like that. We got am I in the right room? Am I are we in the right place? Come on. When, when, We're a part of seeing somebody get rescued out of hell, brought into heaven, pulled out of death, brought into life, seeing the addictions and the anger fade off of their life, seeing their family get transformed, seeing them get the peace and the hope and the love and the joy that only Jesus Christ can bring, the forgiveness of sins, being brought into the family as a child of God. Come on, there's nothing like being a part of that process with somebody and you leave wanting more. Like, give me two scoops, man. Like, I want more of that. I want to be involved in that journey. And that is what we were made for, guys. And so let me just be the one who reminds us once again. We were made for something great. We were made to help bring a lot of people into the kingdom of God, into faith in Jesus Christ. We were made to do that. And so it's time for us to get on mission. And that's why we've been in this series over the last few weeks, talking about opening up our doors, opening up the doors of our literal home, opening up the doors of our heart, opening up the doors of our wallet, our time, our emotions to the world around us so that the kingdom would come and so that we could actually step into this life of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. And so we've kind of been hanging around Mark 12 over the last few weeks. And the context is a man comes to Jesus And he asked him, what's the most important commandment? Mark 12, verse 28, and he says this. Of all the commandments, which is the most important one? Jesus. And Jesus replies, the most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. If you know your Old Testament, that's Deuteronomy 6, 4, which is the central proclamation of Judaism. uh, The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Then he continues on, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, if you're observant in the room or at Hamilton Mill, Midtown, North Cop, then you're gonna notice this. This man asked, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus gives him two. He's like, I didn't ask for one. I, asked, I didn't ask for two, I asked for one, but Jesus gives him the top two. And this is important for us, listen, This is important for all of us who say, all we gotta do is love God and the rest will take care of itself. Well, not if you ask Jesus about it. If you ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? He's gonna say, you need to love God and you need to love people. Why? Why does he not separate those things? Why does he not just say, just love God? Because he's speaking to Jews who had been given the task to be the light to the nations, to be a lighthouse to the nations, to draw them in, to make them jealous of what it's like to live life with God. But instead of being a lighthouse to the nations, they had shrunk back in in isolation and they had taken all that fervor of loving God and then turned it into a weapon to attack and to judge the world around them. And so Jesus comes to these people and he says, hey, it's not just about loving God, it's also about loving people. Love God Love people. And here's the idea, okay? This is at the bedrock of who we are as Christians, okay? If we love God, we have to turn around and share that love with people, right? Listen, if you love God, you're like, everybody's gotta know about this, but here's the reality. Here's what Jesus is also subtly saying. He's saying, if you love God, then you go run to to love people, you're gonna have to pretty quickly turn around and run back and love God because people are gonna wear you out. Anybody found that out before? People are gonna drain you. You're like, I got nothing else to give you, man. You're like a leech on my life, (laughs) right? And so we run back and we love God and we get God's love and then we turn back around and we go back out and we love people and then we turn back around and we, come on, that's the wave, that's the rhythm. Love God, love people, love God, love people, love God, love people. In fact, Jesus says that love is so greatly supposed to be our marker that he says this, John 13, 34, He says, a new command I give you, love one another. Again, if you know the Old Testament, that's not, God had already said love one another, okay? But Jesus is redefining this. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so Jesus is taking love out of the emotion-based arena. Sometimes I don't feel like loving my neighbor. Jesus didn't always feel like loving us, but love is a choice, Love is sacrificial, love is extravagance. Love defies expectations. And he says this, by this everyone will know that you're my disciple if you love one another. Jesus says the identifier on whether or not we belong to him is by whether or not we love one another. So listen, I just got back from Jerusalem, okay? The way that you know a Jew is by how they dress. Right? The Orthodox Jews, they got the, the curls on the side, they got the black, like that. You know them by how they pray. Right? Western wall, this is all you see. Right? Why are they doing that? Well, there's a lot of thoughts, but it's it's the, the light of God, the, the flicker of the candle of the light of God sways. That's why they do that. How do you know a Muslim? By how they dress. Right? Pray five times a day. Right? Face that direction. Here's the question. How do you know a disciple of Jesus? Not by how you dress. <laughs> we all over the map, right? It's not by what radio station you listen to. It's not by whether or not you got a fish on your bumper or the fish eating the evolution fish. You know what I'm saying? Like we used to be so dumb. We used to, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. You probably, it might be might be somebody here today. It's all right, you can leave first. Um, It's fine, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with it. Um, It's not by jewelry we wear or anything like that, okay? The way people are gonna know that we belong to Jesus is by how we love one another. That's it, man. So it's not about the facade, it's not about the outside. It's about what we do with the inside that sets us apart. Are y'all listening to me? Okay, so maybe... It shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. Um, Two weeks ago, when I got back from Jerusalem, went to to Rome, to Athens, to to Israel. Um, And in Jerusalem, I got my first tattoo. So let's just go there, let's just go there. I know it's gonna poke a lot of people here over the next few minutes, okay? Just hang with me, don't run out the door, okay? So I'm 42 years old, got my first tattoo. All right, be careful, because there's some people about to lose their minds, hold on, Just, just give grace. Just give grace, okay? So I'm 42 years old, got my first tattoo with about 15 other uh, large church pastors um, at the oldest tattoo shop in the world. It's 700 years old. It was founded by Coptic Christians. In 1300, they came from Egypt, and it's gone from father to son for 700 years. And um, they they started with crusaders. Okay, so I know that's a mixed pass anyways. But so um, just just to explain it, because I know some of you have questions. Okay, it's Jerusalem cross which is the cross, and then the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, the, the incarnation, the Bethlehem Star, which is Jesus coming to us. Uh, Domine Evimus is a, is a Latin pilgrim, a Christian pilgrim uh, saying of Lord we went. And so I saw it as God came to us, and so we go to people. Um, a palm branch, which is Jesus's victory, and an olive branch, which is Jesus's peace. Okay, so... so um, So yes, I permanently put this on myself, okay? If you are young, please don't get a tattoo. Let me just go ahead and say that, okay? So I know parents are freaking out right now, okay? All right, here's the deal. I've wanted to get a tattoo for a long time, but I also realized there are permanent things in this life that will never change. And so for all those who in 2010 who got a YOLO tattoo, (laughs) that didn't age very well, okay? So I wanted to get something on me that meant something, that identified who I belonged to. Okay, that will never change, all right? And also, I got it in a place that can cover up, Didn't get on my face, okay? But here's the idea. There were, 95% of the responses were great, you know, that I got online. And then there was the 5%. Come on, everybody praise God for the 5%. <laughs> the 5% thought I got a pentagram on my face. Uh, is actually, no, they didn't. But... Um, Here, I actually wanna read the responses because this is pertinent. This is pertinent to where we're going. Very bad. You will regret this. Which I was like, are you threatening me? Like what? what? He's lost the spirit of God. Do you really worship the God of the Bible? We are going to have to forgive our pastor. I love you, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless your heart. Um, Hang with me just for another second. So here, here, let me just say this. God has done such a radical work in my life that this doesn't bother me. I need you, it shouldn't really bother you either, okay? Let me just say that, okay? Um, we can't allow the words of other people to like, affect our soul, all right? Um, God's, I, I'm actually probably gonna talk about this. We may talk about this on our platforms next weekend. Is like, listen, God needs to do a deliverance on the inside of us of the fear of man and the approval of man. It really doesn't bother me. Like Sincerely, I mean that. But I, I So I wasn't gonna get in the comments because the comments are always the worst, right? And, but then I started thinking this. I started thinking this. If people will talk to a pastor like this, how are they talking to weak brothers and sisters in the faith? And how are they talking to the lost who are watching all this thing? And so I was like, all right, here we go. And I waded into the comments, all right. And so let me just give you my five unofficial observations of Christians on social media. Here's the first one. We really don't know how to engage with the Old Testament, the Old Testament law, because here's what people do. Okay, this is the, everybody's verse because they Googled it. They don't know it, they just Googled it. So Leviticus 19:28. Make some sort of allusion to tattoos, okay? All right? Now, the context of that was people marking themselves for the dead and marking themselves for other gods. And God was saying, hey, you don't belong to those other gods, you belong to me. So don't mark yourself for other gods. Okay, so if we're gonna hang on to uh, Leviticus 19.28, here's the problem. We have to hang on to Leviticus 19.27, the verse before it, which says, guys, you can't get haircuts. And we're going to have to back up one verse to 26, which says you can't eat a medium rear steak. And then we're going to have to go over the law in Deuteronomy 22, which says you actually need to build a small wall around the roof of your house so people don't fall off. And it also says that women can't wear pants. We got any sinners here today? Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. I'm not making fun of the Old Testament law. What I'm saying is it's evident to me that we as Christians don't know how to interact with it. So the real question is this, are we trying to be good Jews or are we trying to be born again Christians? Because Paul even writes about it, Romans seven, Romans eight, that we've been set free from the law to be under the spirit of freedom in Jesus Christ. And there's a way to live in the freedom that Christ has given us, okay? So we can, de- listen, we can debate about things, divide about things, and die for things, but the problem is when we get those categories mixed up, okay? So here, here's the second thing I learned on, on, about Christians on social media, is we don't know how to rightly handle the word of truth, okay? A lot of us, when we take the Bible, especially like even like New Testament scriptures, we're like little kids with firearms, And we end up hurting ourselves and we end up hurting other people because we don't know how to rightly handle the scriptures, the capital T truth of God, all right? And so here's what happens. Many of us take a sermon we heard one time, a scripture that we take out of context and and combine it with a whole lot of personal opinion and a whole lot of the culture that we grew up in. And we form this theological Frankenstein and we call it the word of God And we treat it like it's the word of God when it's not. And then we either use that to take people and lead them back into slavery or we form it into a spear to attack other Christians. When it's actually not the word of God because it's polluted by your own personal preference. Listen, here I'm only talking about this because it's real, real, real. We had people leave last service. Listen, there's a difference in you saying, I wouldn't get a tattoo and getting a tattoo will send you to hell. All right, one is personal preference. That's fine. We can, we, can, we can debate about things, right? The other is, here's number three, we ask too few questions and make too many judgments. Right? We all need to appreciate people provoking us, right? Iron sharpens iron, only if it clashes, okay? Right? We all need to appreciate people calling us higher. Ask, but here's the deal. We need to do that with humility, preferably with a little bit of relationship and hold it a little bit with an open hand in the right way. But what's anti-Jesus, where we get into this really precarious place is when we take our theological Frankenstein, right? And we, we put on the black robe and we get a gavel in our hand and we say, I have decided this about your life, boom. Jesus came full of grace and truth and we need to rediscover those ways. Here's the fourth thing I discovered about Christians on social media. Too many Christians have nothing better to do than to police social media. And I really don't have anything to add to that. So number five. <laughs> the 5% make it hard for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. So as I, as I look through the comments on my page, and really, again, like I know you may be misunderstanding this. Like, I really, it doesn't affect me. I, I, as I look at what's on my page and I look at the other Christian leaders' pages, I get so concerned because an entire world is watching this. And I'm tempted to say like, man, Christians are the worst, right? You ever, you ever had that thought before? But here's, here, listen, listen, Christians are not the worst. The 5% are the worst. Those of us who have taken on a religious spirit, a pharisaical spirit, need to be careful because listen, 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 it was the most religious people who killed Jesus. Listen to me. They killed Jesus for not being religious enough. They killed Jesus for not abiding by their scriptural interpretations. And when a lost and confused world comes into contact with the 5%, they end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater and they judge the whole by the part. And so what we have to do, listen, now it's our job to represent the real Jesus to this world. And what happens in the midst of all that, okay, is I am left wondering, sincerely, I am left wondering this, okay? What would happen if Christians, if all of us actually took the zeal and the passion that we used to assault other Christians and argue with other Christians, and we actually pointed that zeal at the real enemy, the devil, and for the real mission, saving the lost? What would happen if we actually did that? And our, our men's pastor here, Aaron Bourne, um, he has a military background. He said that this is the problem of a peacetime church, okay? He says it's the same problem as a peacetime military. Okay, a peacetime military has all this training, all right, all these weapons, all this aggression built up on the inside of them. But when they don't have some, an enemy to point it at, they'll point their guns at each other. And listen, the same thing goes for the church, guys. We have all this training, all these Sundays, all this discipleship, all this equipping. But when we're not loving our neighbors, we'll point our guns at each other. Listen, I'm not your enemy. You're not your brother's enemy. You're not your sister's enemy. You're not your neighbor's enemy. There is an enemy. And he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But there is one who came to give life and life more abundantly. And our job is to connect people to him. And whenever I see Christians fighting, I always wonder, I I always say this in my heart. There's two people who forgot the mission. And so we have to get back on mission. Okay, what's the mission? Love God, love people. What's the mission? Be fruitful and multiply. What's the mission? Go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the mission. And a pastor friend of mine, Chip Judge, here's what, here's how he said it. He said, I believe the mission of the church is to be a bridge between the culture and the king. I believe the mission of the church is to be a bridge between the culture and the king. And the reality is this, maybe we need to be stirred back up again for this today. There are millions here in Atlanta, there are millions in our city and there are billions around the world who are enemies of the cross, that their sins are still on them, that whenever they die, they will perish in hell and death, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It is appointed to a man to die once and then be judged, and we do not have time to fight each other. And so the real question is this. How do we engage the culture around us in such a meaningful way that we become a bridge between a lost world and the God who loved them so much that he gave his only son that they would never perish, would have everlasting life. How do we become that rich? Here's what I'd say. To engage the culture, we have to understand the culture. Remember that phrase. That's gonna guide our, our time. To engage the culture, we have to understand the culture. And what's important for us to understand right now is that there is a seismic shift happening in the world around us with how people think, how they believe, what they believe is true, what they do with their lives, how they talk to each other. There's a seismic shift happening in the world around us that Christians aren't getting very good. Like we're we're not engaging that very well, right? Like you looked at the statistics, like we're not doing a very good job with the world. It's because we're not reading the times very well. And let me say it like this. Let me put this up here because this is really important for us, is we are transitioning from a modern society to a postmodern society, we're transitioning from a modern society to a postmodern society. So maybe these terms will give you a little bit of understanding about the world that we find ourselves in right now. We're transitioning from a modern society to a postmodern society. So modernism, let me just kind of lay it out for you, okay? Modernism began in 1600. I'm gonna give you a little bit. You're gonna have to like put on your thinking hat here for a few minutes, okay? Modernism began in 1600. It ran for about 400 years until the 1980s, okay, so, so for about almost about 400 years. And modernism is primarily described as the search for truth, all right? So for almost 400 years, people were searching for truth, searching for truth, searching for truth, right? And then the, the, the defining attribute was is that there is such a thing as absolute truth. So for about 400 years, people believed there was such a thing as absolute truth, that there's a truth that applies to all people at all times and all places. That's absolute truth, okay? Absolute truth is this is a pulpit. Everybody's like, yeah, that's a pulpit, okay? So modern people, modern, modernist, we could say it like this, lead with the head. You would have an intellectual conversation with a modernist, okay? But then there's postmodern. Postmodernism began in the 80s right in the 1980s this thing called postmodernism began so it's still pretty new but this is really defining a lot of the younger generation and postmodernism isn't a search for truth postmodernism is a search for meaning is a search for experience is a search for a good life and the defining attribute of postmodernism is there is no such thing as absolute truth Maybe this is what you see in the world around you, right? This is how we get into abortion debates and sexuality debates and and gender debates and all that sort of thing. Because we have a generation who largely believes that my understanding of truth is based on my own experience. That's how I can have a truth and you can have a truth, right? So I'm gonna say, this is a pulpit. It holds my notes and it enables me to speak. Somebody else could look at that and say, that's an elephant. (laughs) Whoa, 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 don't judge me. Right, because based on my truth and my experiences and what I believe, this is my truth. That is a defining attribute, right? Because that's how you can look at something and be like, no, and they're like, yes, because that's how I feel, right? Because it's not based on truth. It's not based on fact. It's based on emotion. And so while modern generation would lead with the head, a postmodern generation leads with emotion or leads with the heart, leads with experience, all right? Here's why that matters. All right, let's put this up here real quickly, okay? So just, just let's recap this, okay? Modern begins 1600, and here's, here's kind of the approach of modern. This is gonna get really real in just a minute. Modern, modernists move from truth to belief to living, from truth to belief to living. So our evangelistic method would essentially be this. If it's true, then you must believe it. And if you believe it, you must live it. So how you engage a modernist generation is intellectually with truth. And this is why people used to hand out tracts. Y'all remember tracts? Right, it's the million dollar bill. And it's like, just kidding, (laughs) you're not rich, but you really are rich because Jesus is gonna make you rich. Like, Like that's, okay. So tracks, intellectual apologetics. Um, This is like Lee Strobel's case for Christ. If y'all remember that, like we're trying to prove that Jesus actually lived, that he actually rose from the dead. Now here's the deal in a modernist equation. If I can get you to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, gotcha, because if you believe it's true, now you actually have to believe it. And if you believe it, you have to live it. And that was me. And that was many of you. All right, I came to the place that I believe that Jesus was the son of God. And since I believe that Jesus was the son of God, I wrap my life around that truth, okay? But there was a shift in the 80s, all right? And it's still happening today. Now we have postmoderns. Now we see it down here at the bottom. Began the 1980s, still running today. We see that the whole pattern has changed. Where moderns move from truth to belief to living, postmoderns move from living to belief to truth. Okay, here's what, here's what a postmodern generation is saying. Is the Christian life livable? If it's livable, then it's also believable. If it's believable, then it's true. This current generation growing up right now largely wants to know, is the Christian life livable? Is it really full of peace? Is it really full of hope? Is it really full of joy? And if so, I'll step into it with one foot, and then as I experience it, it becomes believable. And then as I believe it and swim in that suit for long enough, I'll believe it's true. And what you can see right here is that the ministry trajectories are changing. Listen, I'm not saying we line up with any of this, right? Because we have a truth that's larger than all this. But what I'm saying is this is the cultural soup that we find ourselves swimming in here. And the ministry directions are changing. It used to be that people move from truth to belief to living. Now people move from living to belief to truth. And we find ourselves right now in an overlap, not of generations changing, but of centuries-long cultural thinking transforming. And here's the problem. Okay, here's the problem. We're still using last generation's evangelistic methods on this generation, and we're wondering why it's not working. And we're blaming them instead of saying, maybe we haven't contextualized the gospel to a generation that's changed. I'm not talking about changing truth. I'm talking about changing methods. And here's the idea, guys. We can't approach our neighbors the same way we did 20, 30, 40 years ago because there are different people now. And so either we can just sit back and point at them while they go to hell or we can learn how to re-engage a world that's thinking differently. And one of the best ways to love our neighbors is to meet them right where they are. Okay? Whether they're modern or they're postmodern, whether they think modernly or postmodernly, okay? So here's the question. How do we do that? How do we do that? What does it look like to engage a modern? What does it look like to engage a postmodern? I'm just gonna give you two thoughts here, okay? Here's, here's the first one, okay? Modernism and postmodernism. Engaging a modern culture begins with truth, okay? So one of our best models for how to, how to engage our neighbors in a, post, in, in a modern way of thinking, right, in a modern disposition, is to look at the apostle Paul in Acts 17 at a place called Mars Hill. And so I I wanna read you Acts 17, but I don't wanna bore you by reading it. I actually wanna show you reading it. So let's turn our attention up here. Hey, Victory, I'm here at Mars (laughs) Hill. hill in Athens Greece right over my shoulder is the Parthenon. Athens is the thinking capital of the world and Mars Hill was where the thinkers in the thinking capital of the world came to discuss their ideas and it's here in Acts 17 verse 22 that Paul very famously stood up and said people of Athens I see that in every way you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everything life and breath and everything else from one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find them, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own prophets have even said, we are his And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear more from you again about this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. And among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I I didn't know this. I didn't know this about Marcel. Literally, the Parthenon's right behind it. And so Paul's saying, listen, I've walked around, guys. I've seen the statues. I've seen the temples. I've seen, I've seen all this stuff, right? And in his interaction with the most intellectual people in the world, Paul gives us a model for how to interact with moderns, on how to interact with people who kind of trend a little bit more towards the head, a little bit more intellectual. And here it is. I'm gonna put it up here for you, okay? There's three things. Resonate, dismantle, gospel. Resonate, dismantle, Gospel. Resonate, dismantle gospel. Let's say it together. Resonate, dismantle gospel. One more time. Resonate, dismantle gospel. So enter their story, empathize with their belief, challenge and deconstruct the belief, and then fulfill their heart's cry with the gospel. Resonate, dismantle gospel. Resonate, dismantle gospel. Let me show you how Paul artfully does this, like a master, okay? So Acts 17, we just read it, verse 22, he says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you're very religious, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Paul says, as I walked around, he does not say, as I keyboard, warrior. as I sat in church service, I thought about it. No, listen, He Paul well, spent a lot of time in church, but listen, then he got out and he walked around his neighborhood. He walked around the environment of the people that he was ministering to. He heard how they talked, what jokes they laughed at, what they worshiped, the cultural dialogue that was going on, and he stepped right into the middle of it. And here's what he says. He says, I see that you are religious in every way. What's he doing? Resonating. He's not mocking them. He's not being like, Pfft. All these gods. No, he's saying, listen, I actually see that you're very religious in every way. He's like, the Parthenon's right back there. There's temples everywhere. The temple to Athena's up there. They worship Poseidon right behind us. We got all these statues like right around here. You are, you. are, In fact, you're so religious, you actually have a place to worship the unknown God in case you left one out. Like he's empathizing with them. He's resonating with them because here's what Paul knew, guys. He knew that the culture is seeking valid things in invalid ways. The culture is seeking valid things in invalid ways. They were looking for what we're all looking for, the four basic human needs, acceptance, identity, security, and purpose, right? It was broken in the way that they were looking for it, but Paul saw what they were looking for and he resonated with it. And then instead of just trying to shut it down, he wants to redirect it back to the only one who can fulfill it. So he destabilizes their belief, saying, guys, if you haven't noticed, your all paths are equally valid, isn't working. Let me introduce you to the unknown God that you've been looking for the entire time. Resonate, dismantle, gospel. Resonate, dismantle, gospel. Listen, if you can actually see this, you'll see it everywhere. Resonate, dismantle, gospel. This is how you talk to an intellectual. This is one of the ways. This is, this is how you interact in the area of truth. It's not a trick. It's leading people to truth, to real truth. And the opportunity to do this is everywhere. Let, let, me, let me give you another example. America's got talent. I know you're like, what? That was the last words I thought you would ever come out of your mouth. Like where did, okay. America's got talent. Okay. Cultural phenomenon. Okay. Why does it resonate with us? It resonates because the, the individualistic success driven thing. All right. What is the promise that America's Got Talent makes? Okay, I'm gonna say it in victory language. The promise America's Got Talent makes is you were made for something great. And it it, it, it scratches that itch inside us, right? Like even if we're not on the show, there's a thing inside you it's like, oh, I could be on that show. I'd win that show. <laughs> right? Maybe not in singing. But it, right, okay, okay, it, 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 it does something on the inside of you. So what's our job as Christians be like, no, that's dumb? Or do we say, yeah, actually, yeah, I do believe that. I do believe you were made for something great. Resonate, dismantle. Okay, what's the promise? I mean, what's the, what's the problem of America's Got Talent? Simon Cowell, okay? Because it makes a promise. You were made for something great until you meet that guy. And then you're like, he's like, you're not great. In fact, you're terrible. Get off the stage right now, and only one person wins. So listen, culture always makes promises that it can't keep. But the culture is pricking on this, what we would call an existential cry, this thing that's inside every human being, okay? So we're called to resonate. Yes, you were made for something great, but let's dismantle that. That, that could never actually meet what you're really looking for because you're looking for, an in, for a valid thing in an invalid place, gospel. Let me introduce you to the one who's actually had his eyes set on you, who does value you, and who has actually called you to a purpose of something great. But in, in order to get into that, you're gonna have to lay down your story to take up his much better story. Resonate, dismantle gospel. Resonate, dismantle gospel. Let's put real skin on it. Let's put real skin on it. To our friend who says, I could never become a Christian if I would actually have to believe what the Bible says about homosexuality. Uh-uh, no, like what, we're just gonna argue now, right? What if we sought to understand rather than demanding to be understood? Because there's something underneath that. Like a scuba diver swimming, there's bubbles coming up. What are those bubbles? Like what's the real concern? Could we, and listen, I'm not talking about how the world thinks about Christianity. I'm talking about we gotta, there's a truth that we have to cling to, okay? Let God be true and every man be a liar. So how do we engage this, right? We engage this like this. Maybe we say, hey, I understand. Maybe maybe there's some concerns in here about things like freedom and love and acceptance and tolerance. Okay, that's a resonating. I'm resonating, okay? Those are legitimate concerns, okay? We can either make fun of it or we can engage it. Now, dismantle. Here's the question. Where do our ideas about freedom and love and acceptance come from? Uh, uh. Most people don't know that those are really American ideals, freedom and love and acceptance, right? Because if you're from other parts of the world, you bet you know they're not about freedom and love and acceptance. All right, just turn on the news for 10 minutes, okay? These are American ideals. Where do we trace them back to? The Constitution, okay? Where it says that these truths are what? Self-evident. And so we're like, of course, it should be about freedom and love and acceptance. Now here's the problem though. Are these things really self-evident if not every culture shares America's belief? Could it just be that our view of sexuality and sexual freedom and homosexuality, could it be that these are largely Western social constructs that we're trying to colonize the rest of the world with? Because we love colonizing things, don't we? We hate when people tell us what to do, but we love telling other people what they're supposed to do. Don't judge me, but I'll judge you. Here's the question, where did we get these self-evident truths? Well, if you read on in the Constitution, they were endowed to us by our creator. So that would mean that we don't get to define love and affirmation and acceptance and freedom. The one who gave us those things, our creator, gets to define love and freedom and acceptance. Resonate, dismantle, gospel, gospel. So where you and I really differ isn't how we view people. Where we differ is where we think freedom and human rights come from. You think that the government can give freedom and human rights. Here's the problem. If the government gives gives freedom and human rights, the government can take them away. But these truths are self-evident because they're given by our creator, and so let's find out what God actually has to say about human rights, about what God has to say about freedom, about what God has to say about love, because God has a different idea of love than what we think is love. And listen, that's a, that, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's a gotcha moment. What I'm saying is resonate, dismantle gospel, because we're trying to lead people to truth, because we can get them to believe it's true in the modern mindset, then they'll believe it. And if they believe it, then they'll, they'll conform their life to it. And if we're gonna engage a modernist people, a modernist culture, it's resonate, dismantle gospel. A friend of mine will talk with people and then he'll get to the end of of that sort of conversation. Then he'll say, he'll ask the question, hey, is there any other reason why you wouldn't believe? And if they bring something up, resonate, dismantle gospel. Is there any other reason why you wouldn't believe? Resonate, dismantle gospel. He just did this. Actually, we were at Mars Hill and he did this with somebody and they came to faith in Jesus. It was beautiful, it was amazing. But to, here, here, okay. But to lead people to truth, we have to know what truth is. So we have to become students of the Scriptures again. We have to learn how to rightly handle the Word of Truth. We have to learn how to intellectually engage a, a world around us. Okay, we can't just sit back and just soak up church services. Listen, I'm not, I'm not knocking us. What I'm saying is, guys, we have to take our mission seriously, right? If we're going to engage a modern world, okay, resonate, dismantle gospel. What about postmoderns? What about postmoderns? Here's, the, here's, here's this last thought, okay. What about postmoderns? Engaging a postmodern culture begins with life, okay? Engaging a modern culture begins with truth. Engaging a postmodern culture begins with life. Again, postmoderns, primarily younger people today, are asking the question, is it livable? Okay, it's not exclusive to younger people. There's still older people who do this, but just kind of categorically, okay? Is it livable? They're they're wondering, is it full of life, love, truth? Is Is this actually real? And now listen, let's go back. This is why how we show up on social media matters. Because a watching world is saying, even the Christians can't get along. They're watching and saying, listen, you're supposed to be all about life and love and truth. You're canceling like everybody else is. You're judging like everybody else is. You're in fact worse than everybody else is. Christians are the worst. And so Christianity doesn't look attractive. Now here's the deal. Some of you are like, oh, that's heresy. Christianity is about truth. It's not about attractiveness. Here's the reality, guys. Obviously, Jesus is the truth. We wanna get people to truth one way or the other, but there are different front doors into Jesus. Let me ask you a really tough question maybe you haven't thought about before. When did Jesus' disciples believe? Uh, well, uh, well, uh, kind of a beginning, but not really, and then they doubt it, and then the thing, and all the stuff, and maybe there. And It was three years in until Caesarea Philippi when Peter said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Track with their journey. They followed Jesus because they noticed something was different. They they hoped that they hoped that they hoped, right? And they're following Christ and they're watching what he teaches and they're watching how he lives. Now notice, then they're seeing how he teaches lines up with what he lives and they're drawn in to the beauty of God's life God opens up their eyes, the eyes of their heart, and they believe it. And then they confess that it's true. But their door to truth, their path to truth began with livability. They wanted to know, is this really what life with God looks like? Does it really work? And this is why Jesus says this in Matthew five fourteen. He says, you are the light of the world, guys. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and he gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It is our job to let our light shine so others would see how we live and how we live is different. Listen, let me, let me just throw another cultural bomb into the room. If you've watched any of this Johnny Depp, Amber Heard mess, this courtroom mess, right? Here's what you walk away from that knowing. Man, the world's way does not work. It does not work. But here's the problem. We live in a culture that doesn't know that there's another way. And so we have to show them that there's a different way. What if instead of handing out tracks, we let our life be the track? See, the good news is this, guys, Christianity does live well. This is not a bait and switch, all right? A life with Jesus is full of life and hope and joy and peace and and, 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 and revelation and wisdom and and, and intimacy with God, right? And the longer I live, the more I see how a life lived God's way is so much better. Anybody experienced that before? Listen, you've tasted and seen that the world doesn't work. And now you're in God's way and you're like, this way is so much better. Oh, my God. It doesn't lead me to anxiety and depression and loneliness and addiction and trying to put on a mask in front. Like, I'm free. I'm transformed. My family's alive. Generational blessing. Come on. Oh, it's so much better God's way. And our job is to take that life and to let it shine out for the world to see. Maybe you recognize this author's name, Madeline L. Engel. She said, we do not draw people to Christ by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Guys, this is called incarnational ministry. Jesus was God incarnate. He was God with skin on. Incarnational ministries, when we take the love of God and we put skin on it and we live it out in the world around us. It's our job not to just talk about the gospel, but to display the gospel for a world that's looking for a life that works. And so loving our postmodern neighbors means that our life preaches before our words ever do. The question is, does your life preach well? Because every one of our life preaches, but does our life preach well? Now, I know some of you are wondering, but if I can't just blow people up on social media, what am I supposed to do? Because that's my whole evangelistic strategy. I guess we'll actually have to love our neighbors and to love our families. We'll have to be consistent Embodying the gospel wherever we go because there's a world that's watching and it's asking, is it real? Which means parents, church parents, we can't threaten to murder our kids in the parking lot <laughs> and then walk into the church like, bless the Lord, amen, hallelujah. Best day ever, lift my hands in the sanctuary. And our kids are like, who, who, who is that? Who is that? (laughs) They got possessed when they walked into the church because I don't know who that is. And then you get back in the car and you're like, shut up, mama needs a moment. (laughs) I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how many parents ask the church to correct what they're mismodeling at home. Yeah. Hey, would you talk to my daughter about the whole sex thing while well, you're living with your boyfriend or living with your girlfriend? Right. And then they get, would you talk to them about drugs? You're like smoking, drinking, drunk, and oh, bring mom another glass of wine. Yeah. Okay. Would you talk to them, tell them not to do what they see me doing? We have a generation that's asking, is it livable? And they're watching and our life is preaching. And so we need to demonstrate what the gospel looks like lived out, not just be in our head, not have really good Sundays, but what does it look like Sunday when we leave to when we come back inside this room? Are we demonstrating, are we preaching well with our life? And what that means is we're gonna have to change the way we interact with the world around us. We can't confine our Christianity to Sundays anymore. That means we need to open up our doors That means we need to invite our neighbors over for a meal so they can see how we talk to each other and how we love our kids. And we can make the nations jealous by our relationship with God. That means, bless the Lord, they're probably gonna need your phone number. (laughs) And you're gonna need to know their name. (laughs) You can't be in your yard and be like, there you are. (laughs) guy, guy. I know you've told me your name 73 times. I literally was not listening one time. <laughs> not even one time. Was, Nicole, like, we need to love, love our neighbors, engage our neighbors, be neighborly, and over time, surface conversations lead to serious conversations, lead to spiritual conversations. And as we break bread with our neighbors, then they'll know that when their life breaks, they can call somebody who knows the one who can fix it. And his name is Jesus. And so what all this means is that we need to be people of truth and people of incarnation. People of truth and people of incarnation. We need to know the truth that sets people free and we need to handle it well with grace and truth. But we also need to embody that gospel in the way we live and the way we love and the way we, we interact with our coworkers and our friends and our neighbors. And I'll close with this, 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. We're sent on behalf of God representing the kingdom. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our job, ministers of reconciliation, reconciling people to people and people to God. So where do we go from here? Okay, there's a life to live once we leave here. But here, uh, here at Victory, we're doing two things, okay? One has a little bit more of a more modern, um, modernist approach. Another one has a little bit of a more postmodern approach. So we believe in engaging the culture. So I'm giving you a heads up. In just a few weeks, in June, for the month of June, um, we're gonna do something called Summer at the Movies. Okay, we're gonna do a Summer of the movie series. This is something Victory's never done before. Uh, I and the pastors, Pastor Dennis, we're, we're super excited about this, okay? So here's what this means. Here's what this means, okay? I'm getting you ready for this, okay? On different weeks, we're going to show some movie clips. I know, just clutch your pearls, clutch your pearls. Just real quick, okay? We're gonna show some Disney movie clips, We're gonna show some Star Wars movie clips. We might even show, I don't know. I don't wanna spoil it all, okay? But here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna resonate, dismantle gospel because the culture makes a lot of promises even in movies that it can't keep. And so what we wanna do, we're called to go and tell. And uh, so—and we're called to say, come and see. And so we wanna invite people in to come and see, all right? So here's what I don't want. Please, when we start this, don't get on, come on, 5%. I'm talking to the 5%. I love you. Don't get on social and be like, oh, Victor, they, they lost it. Jesus went out the back door. I remember when this church used to. Okay? There's a purpose with what we're doing. Okay? There's a purpose behind what we're doing. Okay? Resonate, dismantle gospel. And here's our opportunity. Okay? For that whole month, we can invite our friends, our family, and neighbors to come and see. Come and see. And I guarantee you they're going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel while they're here. Okay? So that's, that's a come and see. All right? We're also called to go and tell. Come and see, go and tell, okay? So maybe on the little bit more postmodern approach, okay, from truth to living, but then living to truth, today we're gonna kick off a, a two-week food drive, okay? Now I know you're like, food drive? Like, we've done that before. What, what is that? Okay, what, what, how does that play into this? Um, this isn't just you bringing food back to church next week. We're actually gonna give you, we're gonna give more details uh, when we break out here, but um, you're gonna get door hangers. Um, to be able to interact with your neighbors. This isn't a youth food drive. This is a neighborhood family food drive. So you're gonna take the food drive back to your neighbors, back to your neighborhood. You're gonna have these little door hangers. And here's, here's the cool thing. It's a conversation starter. It's a way for you to actually get to know their name. And it's a way for you to show your neighbors that the gospel lives the gospel actually impacts the way that we live. The gospel is actually good for the world around us. You have an opportunity to interact. You can, you can you know, have them give it to you. You can bring it into your local co-ops. You can bring it back into the church, whatever that is. But you're gonna have an opportunity here over the next two weeks to take this out. To, to, in June, say, come and see. In the next two weeks, we say, go and tell, okay? Because we actually believe that the gospel is good news and that Jesus can change everything. Let's do this, let's bow our heads, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. um, We confess that we find ourselves in a world that's changing. But I thank you, God, that none of this surprises you. Like the throne isn't shaking because people, many people don't believe in absolute truth. God, I thank you that there is such a thing as capital T truth that never changes. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever. Thank you, God, that we can be people of truth. But I thank you that that truth doesn't just stay in our head. It actually impacts our lives and we live it out. And the gospel lives and the kingdom comes and Jesus changes everything. And you sent us into this world. And here's what I wanna do right now. God, just, just on behalf of victory, God, we repent for any way that we've mishandled the scriptures. Any, any pharisaical spirit, any religious spirit, God, God, set us free right now in Jesus' name. God, we wanna handle the scriptures well. We wanna be full of grace and truth, just like Jesus was. And we wanna be a light to the world around us. So right now, God, we repent of our sins. We confess once again that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to die for our forgiveness, yes, but also our reconciliation and our entry into the family of the living God. Thank you, God, that we are no longer slaves. We are sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Jesus. We confess Christ once again today. But we don't want that confession just to stay inside the, these rooms and echo off these walls. God, we want that confession to permeate our heart and to find its way out through our feet, our hands, lips, and our lives to our family, to our coworkers, and to a watching world, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen.